Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 36 of the North Meets South web podcast. Episode 36. Let's see. What episode would we be on if we were not doing the Laravel News podcast? How many episodes have we done for the Laravel News podcast? If we just double that, right? Yeah, basically. We've been doing it since, what, January. We're in October, which is 10 months. We do two a month, 20 so 21 episodes. episodes. We're like 56, episode 56. Yeah. Wow. We're committed to this, man. I mean, you know, this is yeah. good stuff. Who, who would have ever thought when we started talking thought? about this? <laughs> That yeah. we would get this many episodes in. That's that's pretty awesome. More than that, it's I've I've started to get, well, I've started to notice more interaction from our listeners as well. They're starting to to tweet and they're starting to reach out to us. They're they're starting to, I don't know if they just want to hear their name heard. I know that Wilbur Parry he there reached you go. out to us. Boom, Wilbur. There uh, you go. So, so shout out to Wilbur. Yeah, I I like Wilbur, and I also like the coffee beans. My coffee beans often come from Costa Rica, so they're a they're a fine bean. They're they make for a <laughs> delicious coffee. They certainly help me get going in the morning. Yeah, so thanks Wilbur for all your hard work on that on those coffee beans. Yeah. really really appreciate. When he's, when he's not developing, he's he's out there. He's pick. I don't know. Do, do you pick coffee beans? Ah, oh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure I know, how that works. I know that they started. I'm sure they like shake them down off the yeah, off of trees sure. or something. Sure, sure. Wherever they come from, or however they they get to me, they are nice and delicious once they get into my morning coffee. Yep. So that's for Wilbur because he's been talking, and we said last episode we said, hey, you know, if you want a shout out, just give us some feedback. And so that's Wilbur's. So maybe you're next. Maybe maybe you are next. Just reach out. It doesn't matter. We'll find yeah. some reason to talk about you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I've got a couple things written down here. Uh, I'm going to list through them here and we'll figure out which ones we want to talk about. Using mix outside of Laravel, CSS grids, pricing for freelance, code reviews, view composers. And then I've got four other things that are like personal-ish things that I was going to talk about that have nothing to do with code. Maybe we should start yeah. with those so my brain can wake up a little bit. Let's do it. Okay, Stranger, Stranger Things 2. Have you watched any of it? I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, it was, I know, boo. Jack McDade will boo me as well. When I saw him at Laracon this year, I said, I still haven't finished watching Stranger Things. Shame on you. When I got back, when I got back from Laracon, it turned out I had only one episode of Stranger Things Season 1 left. Oh my gosh. So How do you do that? How be, would you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I somehow I just been putting off watching the rest of it for so long. You were just like, and saving then I only it. had one episode. Yeah, I was like savoring it. I was waiting for you know at least two or three episodes, and it got to the end, and it was that was the end. There was no more. Uh. So I haven't watched yet. It was my mum's birthday on Friday, so we went out for dinner. It was my sister in law's birthday during the week, so we went to visit her on Saturday, and then we went to see Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, you said that was really good too, right? Was really good. Yeah, I didn't really. I've never really liked either of the Thor movies. I've. I think they were. It. They're they're kind of out of place in the greater cinematic universe. They're not. I guess the. They're not fun films. They're more serious. Yeah, that's true. But but this one sort of fell in line with the greater universe. I thought, and uh, the director is a Kiwi, uh, New Zealander, and. 
he features as as one of the sort of supporting characters. Oh, that's cool. Um, so the director is actually in the film. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. He he was he was he was a, definitely a scene stealer. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, did you know that the guy? What's his name? So yeah, highly recommend it if you if you haven't seen it, go and go and check it out. What is his name? I'm trying to remember the guy who uh, who was like you know the voice, not the voice, the guy who wrote all the comics, the Marvel comics. Stan Lee. Stan Lee, yeah. So he's in all the Marvel like movies, yeah. right? So like, yeah. We just watched the Spider-Man Homecoming the other day, and he's like one of the dudes yelling out the window at, at Spider-Man yeah. when he messes up the car or <laughs> something. That's pretty funny. That's a cool little thing they throw in there, you know. Yeah, it's always it's always fun that they do that. Um, okay, let's see. So that's Stranger Things. I just watched Stranger Things two episode one last night. It was pretty good, pretty good. You watched yeah, it or so. you fell asleep watching it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, both. <laughs> so I uh, I watched it and promptly fell asleep while I was like, you know, I I I noticed it ended, but I was like, you know, dozing during the last portions yeah. of it. Uh, but it was really sure. good, man. It was really good. I might have to go watch good. the just the tail end of it there but uh yeah yeah no spoilers here but man it's it's so good like i feel like half the show is like i really enjoy kind of like the plot line but the other half is just the nostalgia like they they do everything so well as like a period piece like it feels like everything's back in the 80s like it's really cool like i i did not grow up like it's a slightly it's slightly before my time I did not grow up during that era. Like I wasn't a kid during that era. I was like a young, young yeah. kid during that era. But it's yep. still like I remember some of those things, you know. So anyway, it's pretty cool. Like you know, tell like you know, telephones hanging on the wall with a cord on them, and yeah. riding bikes until all hours of the night. You know, like just that sort of stuff was so fun. But uh, anyway, nice. I digress. I'll get there. I'll get there. Also wanted to talk about, uh, well, didn't really, there's nothing really to talk about. I want AirPods. You have them. How do you like them? Uh, I'm using them right now. Yeah, I, so I noticed. I didn't, I've got a set of Bose QC35s, which I wore religiously when I was running, when I was at the gym, when I was at work, because the noise canceling is the greatest thing on God's green earth, right? You can just put them on, zone out, and and get things done. But since I got the AirPods, like they're, they're my first choice now, basically for anything. I use them in the office, and I guess it's all right now, especially because people. I, I wanted the QC thirty fives to sort of block out the office noise, but I don't really have a lot of office noise. It's only people like asking me for advice or for help or something now. So it's kind of handy to be able to hear the environment, but. You know, they they always work. They they jump from my MacBook to my phone to hmm, my iPad to my even to my watch and even to the Apple TV. Like they all work. So if my wife's gone to sleep, I can sit there in the in the lounge room with the big TV, but I can have the sound going from the Apple TV straight. That's to pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Which is also handy if I have to duck out to the bathroom. I can keep <laughs> keep listening. Yeah, and I have nice. to pause the show. That's funny. Yeah, I I think I think I'm gonna grab some. I think you should. Everyone there's else been has. Enough people, yeah, there's been enough people who have said that they're really awesome. Oh, I was just so skeptical. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, okay, yeah. eh, I don't know. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a jump. Uh, this is just a cool little thing I saw this week that I think everyone should pick up, which is really cool. It's this thing called WiseCam, W-Y-Z-E Cam. It was like this $20 security camera with night vision and all this stuff. So we were like recently, oh, and you can hear it through it and then you can talk through it. It's like a Nest Cam, you know what I mean? But... Mm-hmm. 20 bucks are you kidding me 
So it's actually just a rebranded other camera, but whatever. Anyway, it's it looks pretty cool, and uh, I just ordered one yesterday, so I'll be sure to give kind of like a review on that. Um, yeah, let so me know you go. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Okay, that's personal stuff. We're cutting it off. We're at like nine minutes, so we're gonna <laughs> jump into code stuffs. I kind of made. I kind of had my list of things. Uh, are you cool to just talk about those things, or did you have anything else you wanted to push in? Uh, one thing that we we didn't mention, but that we probably should, is our friend Jan. Jan Ustland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. F-Bar fame. That's correct. I guess we could say that he's sort of semi-sponsored this episode, really. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But Jan has, uh, in in celebration, I suppose, of releasing version two of F-Bar, which I know you're a big user of. Yes, Jan all the time. Jan has given us some... Promo codes. Promo codes for a 100% discount to get the latest version of F-Bar. Yeah. So we did. I think the last time we did this was maybe on Laravel News, but I've, I figure we'll do it on this one. We're just going to read the codes out. We're just going to read them out on on the uh, on the show here. And first in best rest, really. So if you want a copy of F Bar, and maybe before we give out the first code, maybe Jacob, seeing as you use it, you can explain a little bit to our listeners what F Bar is for those sure. who don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do too is I'm going to look up because I know he said there was some new stuff with it okay so he's launched uh 2.0 of fbar he's added support for hyper uh, which is a terminal that you can use to launch from and desktop push notifications via apple push notification services service side which talks to apple manages the certificates is of course built in laravel 5.5 okay so just a general overview of what fbar is if you are a forge user that is you you know create servers or you provision servers using forge you manage those servers using forge or you can spin up your own servers i suppose and link up your stuff using forge which is just perfect for doing anything that you need to do with a laravel server then fbar is definitely for you so fbar allows you to be able to from your mac toolbar be able to see all of your different servers uh, what their status is. So if the site that's that's uh, that they're running is is green, or in this case, apparently, if you have one of them fail or or one of them go down, you'll get a push notification on your on your Mac, which is pretty cool. Uh, but you can list out all of your servers. You can list out all of your sites. You can reboot. You can reboot just Nginx, MySQL. You can reboot Postgres. You can upload a new SSH key. You can go into your servers and just click open terminal and it will open it straight from straight from there, which is where he was talking about hyper support right now. It supports like iTerm mm-hmm. uh, or you can also like highlight a site, a specific site that's on a server and then you can open that one in forge or you can click deploy to like deploy from the most recent version of, uh, you know, your whatever it's going to be. What am I thinking? What's my what's the word I'm looking for? Your application. Yeah, but like on GitHub or whatever. Version control. <laughs> Thank you. Version control. I'm reaching for words and they're just not there. Just <laughs> they're just, not there. They're not there. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's really good and I use it all the time. And it's really helpful because I have like maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven servers out there for my one job. And then I've got one, two, three, four servers out there for my other job. And uh, each of them have multiple sites on them. So it's, you know, it can be difficult to remember or to manage which ones are which. Uh, and Jan has been really open to feedback too. So there's been a couple of things like, for instance, our, our servers that we manage for my primary job are inside our building. So we actually need to be able to access them when we SSH into them. We need to do that from the private IP address, not from the public IP address. So yep. he added an option from 
from within FBAR to say, yeah, this specific server, go ahead and access it through its private IP. So I asked him that like when he first released it, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had it out in like a week. So anyway, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I've really enjoyed using it. So Very anyway, good. with that being said, let's go ahead and give out a promo code, huh? Anybody who doesn't have let's it go. yet, you can do it. Uh, it. The promo code is 50FB1F52. There you go. There's the first one. Okay, so let's talk about, let's start with using Mix outside of Laravel. Have you ever had a chance to use Mix, Michael? Yes. Okay. Yes, he says. And then like <laughs> looks up like, I think I think I have maybe. Yeah, so yep. um, can you explain to us what Mix is? Yeah, so Mix is essentially a, a Laravel, like it's not Laravel specific, but it was built and maintained by Jeffrey Way. It's a wrapper over Webpack. Yeah. So it, it simplifies the... Uh, I guess that the public API that w- you would use in order to get it to do things like compile your JavaScript and your CSS and and basically take your SAS files and less files and transform them into CSS and handle all the auto prefixing stuff and versioning of assets and yada yada. Um, you know, it does a whole lot of stuff that you obviously you can do with Webpack directly, but this boils down to you know mix dot SAS, mix dot scripts, mix dot whatever else dot version sure so it, it's it's a really simplified as as with everything in the laravel ecosystem way of basically dealing with your your static assets yeah and it's been it's it's really nice right if you ever have to set up this stuff well let me say this if you ever have it set up by using something like mix or using some, you know the old version of it, which was relying on Gulp, but it was Elixir, Laravel Elixir. If you've ever been able to use these and then you have to go back to manually setting them up yourself, you're just going to be like, you're so spoiled. You're so spoiled once yeah. you've used them once. Yeah. And so that was the exact case of the situation I ran into recently. I was like, ah, I need to kind of pull this stuff in via NPM and I don't really want to have to include it on the page manually myself. Like, I just want to be able to run and create one script and, you know, I've got some SAS stuff too. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to pull in mix. It was so easy. It was so easy to pull it in, in this outside project and it was super fast and browserify as well, which is a huge win, right? So it makes it so easy to, to set up browserify or no, I'm sorry, not browserify browser, uh, browser sync, I think is what it's called, right? Yeah. Where yep. you can just, it refreshes your changes for you automatically on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So man, it was just, it was such a good experience. I'm so thankful to have that tool out there. If you have not given yeah. Laravel Mix a try, whether you're in a Laravel project or whether you're in any other project and you need to do some of these things, compiling assets or browser sync or any of that stuff, check it out. It's really simple to get started. I'll try and send Michael like a link to you. I can't remember. I think there was something that I followed to get set up with Mix outside of it. I think actually it was. It was Eric Barnes had posted it, I think, on Laravel News, how to get set up with Laravel Mix outside of Laravel. And nice. I think there was like one small thing that he changed that I had noticed uh, and I sent to him. I was like, hey, this is a little bit different. So anyway, uh, it works super good and I'd highly suggest it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll get that, that link from you. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about code reviews. This is something we said we were going to talk about last episode, I think, and we didn't get a chance to. So maybe we could just talk briefly about kind of what your experience with Ben is, has been with like how code reviews have worked. Maybe discuss some of the reasons for why you would do code reviews. And, and then I can poke some holes, maybe ask some questions and things like that. I'd be interested to hear how you guys do them. I, we haven't really talked much about it on air. So yeah. uh, maybe you can start with that. Maybe you can just discuss like 
what's the reasoning behind it? Like, why do we do code reviews? Uh, you know, what advantages does it have? What are some disadvantages too? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, in in my new role, there was when I came in, there was barely any version control. There was no no, no code review process at all because there was a single developer that sort of just made changes and pushed changes, which is a little bit different. If you're working by yourself, yeah, you probably won't have that kind of review process, which sure. is fine. But the, but the other developer was very receptive and and got on board with having their code reviewed pretty much straight away. So I didn't, you know didn't have any issues there. Thankfully, you know didn't have to try and justify it. A lot of it came down to part of us as a sort of smaller business that's been around for a while now starting to put procedures and and codifying our processes so that you know we know that any code that we're deploying to production follows some loose level of change management yeah which basically just means that somebody has looked at the code reviewed it made sure there's no obvious bugs in there make sure that there's no obvious uh, security issues and and it also allows you to sort of talk a bit about you know with your with whoever submitted the pull request how how their code looks like not necessarily stylistically i think we're you know with psr2 and all that kind of stuff where we're past the point where we need to talk about how the code needs to look php is by and large as a community adopted those standards so that's pretty simple although Having said that, a lot of the code base that I'm in at the moment has tabs, which causes me no end of strife when I try and make a change. <laughs> oh, and when I think yeah. that I've copied, you know, I've copied and pasted three lines, you know, I've copied and pasted a div or something. I want to add a new form group, a bootstrap form group. And I copy it and paste it and thinking that it preserves the the tabs or whatever. And even though the, it looks like the tabs are there, who knows what's going on with it. So... But yeah, I guess the the main thing for us is just as part of that process of change management, understanding yeah. not only um, what the changes look like, but what changes we're bringing into our production sort of application, making sure that we know that when that code goes in, that we can communicate to the rest of the business, you know, we are making this change, we're introducing new, this new feature, we are fixing this bug, all of it sort of flows together from from that point of reviewing the code so that that's kind of what we're using it for within yeah. our business and it's and it's largely the same as what we used it for at my last job as well yeah so um you know just the idea of another developer getting eyes on it and trying to figure it out and it's it's cool too so because uh, i'm trying to think of a like a good example but basically like you know different people communicate different ways and and you know, the idea that like the, the sum is, is greater than the, or, you know, what's that? The team is greater than the sum of the, ah, <laughs> the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? So it's like one plus yeah. one equals four, right? So, you know, the, uh, the ability to like supercharge your, your learning or your, your, your code style, or you're not, not your code style, your effectiveness though, by having multiple people taking a look at it. Yeah. So like when you approach it, you, you come in and you look at it and you're like, huh, I wonder what that does. Like I'm not, you know, it was completely clear to the author who made that code yeah. because they made it, right? So in their head, it totally yep. makes sense. But when you have a second person taking a look at it, and really this is uh, a good reflection of like what you're going to be doing when you come back to it in six months is really what it sure. is, you yeah, know, yeah. because you're not going to remember what your thought process was at that point. No. So by having a second developer look at it, you can really kind of get a, uh, a sense of, of what it's going to feel like when you come look at it again, when it needs to be revisited in six months. And especially with people like you and I, where we are, we are building applications that we're going to have to maintain for the next five years. Yeah. It's not just agency work, right? Like this is our, 
This is ours, our code. It's totally worth taking a second look at it and, and doing a couple code reviews even on the same piece of code because you're going to see it again. You're definitely going to see it again. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, having that second person look at it and be like, I'm not really sure that this makes sense. Can you explain this to me? And it's not really super clear. Maybe we could restructure this a little bit differently. It's just been super valuable. Now, having said that, like they're very valuable. It does slow things down. It just does. Like, because you have, yeah. multi- like if you're a solo developer and you're just going like straight cowboy, you know, like Wild West style yeah. and you're not worrying about yeah. anything. Yeah you're going to get some crazy work done really fast. Like you can just, yeah. you, you have, you can do it much quicker. It seems like, uh, but the quality is just not, and I say that like, it's I, not that's, quality, that's though, been yeah. my experience. So the, the, yeah. it's not that it's like horrible, horrible quality if you're being really careful, but I feel like it's, it's easier to have quality, better quality code. If you have other people reviewing it, they just help to see yeah. things that you can't see yourself. Yeah. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I get your point with regards to the speed, especially when, you know, I've got something else on or your other developers got something else on. They may not review that code straight away as well. So there's always that that time factor where, you know, you, you don't you don't want someone to drop everything they're doing to review code. So that that can come into it as well, depending on the size of your team. If you're in a big enough team, obviously you don't have to necessarily go to one other person, as in my situation. But the other thing that I was thinking about, and you've spoken about this at length as well when you first started in open source and on, on Gislog with Matt Stauffer, you know, you get that free advice basically yeah. from another p- potentially or hopefully more experienced developer. Even just looking at other code, not not only seeing code and going, Joe, I don't understand that, but seeing other code and maybe learning something as well yeah. that, that you may not have encountered before, which is something that... Um, you know, is is another benefit, I think, of, of the whole code review process. Yeah, that happens to me all the time where I'm looking at something and I say, oh, I don't really think you should be doing that way or, or, or like, what is this that you're doing here? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a new thing. In, in Laravel 5.5, you have this new now helper. There's a global helper. There's like Carbon Now. It's like, oh, really? I didn't even yeah. know about that. So, like, yeah, yeah, you definitely learn things while you're while you're looking at it. There are some challenges. So some of the challenges that I've faced and haven't really gotten great solutions for them yet is like, so we have a team of three developers essentially. And if I'm trying to work on anything, right? So like my job has kind of shifted recently and I don't get to do as much code, but like if I have another developer who's working on a feature, they may get to a point where they're done, like ready for it to be code reviewed and I'm not available to code review it. So it's like, okay, what do I do now? Right? Like, so what's my next what do I do? Yeah. So what we've tried to do is instead of them having to stall out like that, this has kind of been a whole set of changes as to how we do things. Instead of having like, you know, one pull request that is containing all of the things that they're working on for this particular feature, we try and snap a branch off of master Mm -hmm. and then we pull request to that branch. So it's a feature branch really, right? Yeah. But you know, a feature has a lot of different little pieces. And the other thing is if it's any feature that's of any size, there's going to be a lot of files that are changed. And if you have to review those things multiple, multiple times, it gets really old, really old, really fast. Because like, you know, I've had some pull requests where it's like 60 files. And if I have to code review that more than one time, it gets annoying yeah. because it's like, yeah. gosh, I've already seen all this stuff once. Like, and yeah. so it's, it's hard to like, over. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to go over it multiple times. So we've kind of been using that where we say, okay, this is like the large feature. Like this is the branch. 
But like now what do what you do is like for each kind of little change that you're making, make its own like kind of pull request. And then I can review that, give you give you changes. But you can like if I'm not available, you can kind of work on something else. You can kind of like start a new piece of that feature and, yeah. and start working on that while I'm you know, while you're waiting for me to pull request the other thing or, or pull, you know, code review the other thing. So these branches that you're creating, have you then got feature branches off of feature branches? It's pretty much like mini features off of feature branches. Yeah. So I'll have yeah. like, for example, like one is called, uh, so we have a, just an app called Micro and then we have kind of a new mini application that's called Micro because we're putting all of our little micro applications in there. So instead of having a bunch of tiny microservices, we basically are saying like all of these tiny microservices live in this one mo- large monolith because it just, it works well way better to do that for us for this particular instance but anyway yeah. so they'll have one that's called coaching log and we've got you know i've got a list of features that we've kind of got figured out like hey we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this they could all kind of go into one feature right like v11 or v10 or v12 or whatever like they could all kind of fit into that sort of like release basically but we're not going to make a feature branch for that one release or we would but then we'd have a bunch of smaller features that kind of get pushed to that branch so like one of them might be, hey, we need to alert uh, the team member when a manager creates a new coaching log entry. Okay, that's one piece, right? That's going to be like 10 files get changed. And then the next one is like, hey, you need to be able to save an action plan as a draft. That's the next thing. So like those small features, instead of trying to fit like three or four of those into one thing, which they may all be related, right? Because like if you have a draft, you don't want to notify the employee when the action plan is created. So it's like those two kind yeah. of go together. But if you try and put that all in one feature branch, it's just going to get really huge and really out of control. And it's going to be super hard to review all of that and get it pushed in at the same time. So we try to make smaller branches if we can that get or smaller yeah. pull requests. That way we can review them more quickly. Uh, I can review yeah. them more quickly. I'm not reviewing the same code over and over and over again. And uh, smaller windows of, of changes. So yeah, yeah, I dig. Yeah, I've been that that was one thing that I was dealing with initially with with our other developer was getting them to work on discrete feature sets, discrete change sets in their branches, and it's all right now. It it took a little while, and I said, look, I can review as same as you said. If it's a small set of changes, I'm more likely to look at it more carefully, and you know, make sure that. Basically, make the life of the reviewer as simple as possible. Yeah, because if like if you get something that's got twenty or thirty or fifty different files changed, it's pretty easy for whoever's reviewing it to either have their eyes glaze over or you know it looks good to me without looking at it. And who knows what you miss or what multiple changes are going into that that feature branch, which is not really. I mean, that's the point of the feature branch is that it is a discrete set of changes. So. Yeah, be kind to your reviewers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. So that's been a that's been a kind of a a change, a challenge for us. And what we what we used to do is we used to have <laughs> this is just crazy. So like we used to have a production branch, a master branch, a dev branch, and then feature branches. Yeah, and we don't do that anymore. We quit doing that because it was just very like, Git flowy. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. But you'd have a feature, and then it's like, okay, we're done with the feature. And then it was like, okay, merge to dev. All right, push it to master. All right, now push it to production. Like, literally every time it yeah. was like, 
it was like get push dev and then it was like get pull origin master and then get merge dev and then get push origin master and then get pull production and then get merge master get push production it was just ridiculous and that was literally every time i almost started i almost made like an alias for it to do that specific thing and i was like why are we doing this so what we ended up doing is we said okay we have a master branch and we have feature branches and that's it yep that's it that's all we have and so um initially it was a little bit weird because like i said what we would do is we would have like one massive freaking feature and it was just you know this crazy amount of code that i was reviewing every time and there was no way for me to say like okay i've reviewed these code you know this stuff if nothing changes in it don't let me see it again yeah so you know by making pull requests to that feature branch that's kind of helped solve that so that's where we're at with it yeah yeah I, I mean, initially when I when I found Gitflow, I spent a lot of time trying to get my head around it and I'm interested to know what size or, of team or what scale you need to be at for that to actually be an effective tool Yeah. Uh, for managing, you know, get different streams of work. Uh, I, I'm the same as yourself and I think, I believe it's, you know, just the GitHub flow. You've got master, you create feature branches from master, you submit pull requests from those feature branches back to master. That's that's the way it works. We have an interim step, which is just around managing those releases where we will actually create a feature branch. Okay, yeah. So, the uh, not a feature branch, a release branch. Release branch so, yeah. yeah, so the feature branches are all created from master and the pull request goes back to master, but in terms of actually getting those changes back into the master branch, we will create a release branch from master. That's smart. And then and then merge those into the release, which means we can have multiple feature branches open and selectively deploy things, you know, selectively release changes and features into production. Yeah. Um, and that, that then allows us to go to more easily populate the release, uh, the change log to say, you know, we changed this, we included this pull request, we made these miscellaneous changes in these commit shards. That's interesting. Um, and then it means and it means we can work, you know, we can do a, a piece of work or a feature that that may span two or three weeks and that, that branch can be long-lived. Yeah, and then yeah. It, but we can have releases in between and, and then pull in, you know, we need to do this small bug fix, so we'll do that now. You know, and a lot of it comes down to communication and not, especially because we've got, the the contact center you know you don't want to change anything without notifying them that something's going to get changed yeah so a lot of it is more around notification than than anything else so we generally will have at least 12 but preferably 24 hours notice if we're going to be changing anything that that could you know be different for the for the call center so we let the the contact center manager know or the the call center team later we are making changes uh, it will affect your team in this way. We don't anticipate there to be any outages or anything. Yeah, you know, outages or or disruptions to service. But these are the things that we have changed. And if you notice anything that is not working or is working counter to what we've suggested, it will work. Then please let us know. So, do you guys do an actual release? Then will you actually create a new release when you do that? Yeah, like when you push that yep. branch so, in. Okay. Yeah. So once that release branch is then merged. So the the release branch then becomes another pull request to master. Yep. And then we merge that and then we tag it at that yeah. point. Yeah, right, right. Cool, okay. So we know in advance, I mean, you, you generally know in advance what your like version number will be. Yeah. 
for for the stuff we're doing, we don't follow semantic versioning. It doesn't make sense, I don't think. So we just use a year, month, date, and then two digits, zero through 99. You know, this is, we did release one today. Oh, we, we fixed a bug. So that's, you know, 2017, 10, 29, 01, 02, 03. Sure. And generally we won't, like I've never had more than five in one day. So, and that was, that was a bad day where <laughs> we were trying to fix a bug and we didn't quite get there, so... Nice. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We don't do, we don't do releases. There's a couple things that I have where I do releases. Like if there, if I have a, a package or something that I've got, uh, yep. and I, 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 you know, you have to do a release for that because you're going to pull in like a specific version. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could do dev master, but that's not really like super reliable. Right. It's like, if I have a couple things yeah. that are, if there's any sort of like change that's going to break anything, you shouldn't be using like dev master. So um, any yeah. packages that I have, there's also one where like we have a Chrome extension that we built and mm-hmm. you have to like, in order to get the Chrome extension to work, you have to like compile it and then you have to like release it to this location and, and then you have to like, you know, blah, 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 whatever, make a new manifest JSON or something like that. So anyway, I've got a whole yeah. build process that's set up for that. So like when I tag a release in GitHub, it will pull down the most recent version and it will compile it all and update the manifest.json and, and whatever. Then all of our people can update. Their their Chrome will update it automatically. Nice. Yeah, which is really cool. Man, Chrome, Chrome extensions are freaking awesome. They give you like superpowers. <laughs> Seriously, like anything that you would want to do. Because the thing is, we're using it on a third-party site. So like there's a third-party okay. site that we wanted to add like custom behavior to, essentially. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can do that. Like, how do you how do you do that? And so yeah, what we yeah, used to yeah, we, yeah. what we used to do is we used to pull this third party site in via iframe, and then we'd populate values in that third party site. You know, injecting them through the iframe. Well, they got wise. You know, of course. Yeah. And they say basically like allow X. I can't remember what it is, but essentially disallow anybody embedding this as an iframe. You know, yeah. as well, like a header that they sent through. So now we couldn't do that anymore. So we reversed it. So we said, okay, screw that. We're not gonna we're not gonna embed an iframe in our site. We're gonna use Chrome to create a Chrome extension so that we have access to everything on their page. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because that's exactly what you yeah. have. Like you can literally crawl their DOM, you can do whatever you want. So we inject our own controls onto their page using a Chrome extension. And then what we do is we grab data from our system and we inject it all on their page. So essentially this page is a search form for helping <laughs> us to find, but it doesn't really matter. It's it's kind of like domain specific to us, but we needed to be able to pull information from our system and instead of our people typing it in to the search form, we like wanted to populate it ourselves. And so we yeah. populate it, we do a search. If nothing comes back, we change that information, search again, change the information, search again like nine times. And then if nothing search, if none of our searches come back, then we show like a red failure and our people can modify it themselves. But we have mm-hmm. like nine automated searches that we do, which is incredibly fast, like way faster than anybody that we've ever been able to, you know, I don't know if anybody else is doing this like in our space. So yeah. It's pretty cool. That's uh, totally the tangent, nice. but Chrome extensions are the stuff, man. If you ever need to like grab something off a page, if you know you need to automate that sort of stuff, think about your Chrome extension. They're really, really handy. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Code reviews. We're good with that. I think we're good with that. I mean, there, we could talk mm-hmm. about that all day, but uh, yeah, yeah. I like the idea. I like the idea of the releases because you get that specific like change log stuff. We don't have any of that yeah. right now. We're not doing anything. Yeah. Like if I want, if if my boss wants to know, like, hey, what did you guys do this month? I'm like go looking through all the uh, merge commits, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah uh, it takes some doing. Like I'll sit there and I'll spend 20, 30 minutes on it 
looking at, you know, these are the pull requests that we've got open. These are the ones that are going to go into that release. But then it's easy because I can copy and paste that markdown into my email. Um, I'm using email, so it will, it will handle writing email in markdown and then I can just send that out to whoever needs to be notified, whichever departments are being affected by the changes that we're putting in. But it also makes it easy to go back and, and click through, you know, this was the release. These are the things that changed. Oh, yeah, it looks like we broke something there. We can go and address that directly. So, yeah, it's it's mostly a communication tool. We don't like we don't deploy those specific tags. We will we'll deploy master at that point. And and the tags are just there as reference points. So yeah, we don't we don't deploy the tags. We don't ever revert to a a commit. I think we've talked about this before. We'll roll forward. So we'll make a change. We'll create a new change log. We'll create a new re, you know take a new release and deploy master again. So yeah, um, yeah, they're just snapshots in time, basically. Yeah, very cool. That's it's a great idea. I think that's awesome. Hey, why don't we give it another code, huh? Let's do it. All right, F bar two point Here we go. D four nine seven D three eight f one more time d four nine seven d three eight f there you go that is f part 2.0 why don't you give another one michael let's do another one all right yeah sure here we go five seven c b seven eight one d there you go good luck all right guys girls folks there we go uh okay let's talk about view composers quick and then we're probably gonna have to wrap this up we're at 38 minutes if you can believe that Let's do it. it. You were talking about this on Twitter this week. Yeah, you I was talking about it with looking, Jeff. No. You were desperately grappling for reasons to use it. Were you not? Yeah. So, Jeff, I I don't I can't remember remember Jeff's last name. What's Jeff's last name? Jeff Madsen. No, no. Different. Oh, Jeffer Eight Jeff, A. Yeah, Jeff Ocha. Ocha. Okay, Ocha. Jeff Ocha. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff had kind of put something out there. He had had a, which, oh yeah, I could probably talk about this too. So he uh, put out there this little post on Twitter and had a really cool little screenshot of this code. And he was talking about view composers. Uh, anyway, there's this cool little tool as well that you can use to take screenshots of, of code. It's carbon.now.sh is the link. It's pretty cool though. You can paste like a little code snippet in there and then you can kind of pick like, what do you want your editor to look like? Do you want to drop shadow behind it? Whatever. And so it looks really nice when you, um, when you put it into Twitter. So anyway, yeah. there's that cool little tool, but he was talking about view composers and he had, he was giving a tip about view composers. So that led me to kind of ask the question like, okay, when, when are people using view composers? I was curious to know, like, how are people using them? When are you using them? Why are you using them? Um, and so we got some interesting responses, but some people were like, never, 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 ever use them ever. Yeah. And other people were like, oh, I don't know. I use them on a semi-regular basis. So um, what are your, th have you ever used view composers? Well, maybe, maybe first we can should define what they are. What is a view composer? So a view composer is, is essentially a way to define a piece or a variable or some content that you would, be available in every single one of your views so you don't need to explicitly pass it in your controllers to the view it would just be available based on how you've defined it in your view composer so generally it will be globally available but you can target it to specific views as well yeah so, so it's always going to be available in your your menu or your navigation or or something like that yeah yeah exactly and i've actually when i've done it I've usually made it specific to a couple views. So like mm -hmm. one of them, for instance, is like, okay, I have um, in one of our applications, 
these it's all these documents that people yep. may need to access like this document library essentially where people can go in and say like okay i need to know how to do this specific thing and there's like work instructions in there and whatever well as you can imagine the different departments have different documents that they access on a regular basis and in addition to that we have different documents that different people access on a regular basis so anytime somebody clicks on one of these documents we keep a little you know we make a little call to our back end and say like okay this person viewed this document this many times and so we have a top documents for that particular user so we need to populate that sidebar item with every single view so anytime that that view is coming in uh, that little sidebar view is coming in we need to query that that database table, grab their top 10 results, and then and then make that available to the view. Well, that would be really annoying because that sidebar is included all over the place, right? Lots of different places. Yeah. And really, it's just being extended from a partial. And, and I don't want to have to put in my controller this code to go retrieve those top 10 documents every time. So we just put it in a view composer. And we say, hey, go grab those top 10 documents and make those top 10 documents available to that view. And then away you go. No big deal. You don't ever have to think about it again. Yeah. The problem with view composers is that they can be sort of... Uh, um, hard to find. Yeah. So if you were yep. uh, if you were another developer coming in, and you're looking at this code and you see, what is this top ten variable? What is this? Okay, I, I'm go look in the controller. I don't see top ten variable anywhere. Where is this coming from? Like I need to modify this. I need it to be top nine. We ran out of room. So where do I go do this? Right, so if you're not aware of view composers, you're not going to know. And then secondly, yeah. like there's, it's no, no, it's nowhere in the controller unless you leave a comment or nowhere in the view unless you leave a comment where those things are coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time a view composer is going to, it might have its own class or it might get loaded in via like a uh, view composer service provider, but there is no necessarily standard way. And we kind of talked about this a little bit the other day that really when there is no standard way service provider is where you're going to find it, you know? Yep. That's where they belong, kind of. And so it yeah. isn't a service provider. But I was just trying to figure out, like, is there a better way, a more explicit way to do this? And other people were like, um, yeah, you shouldn't do it then. Just don't do it. Just, you know, make a small partial and do it that way, I guess. So I don't know. I, I still think there's an argument for them, though. I, I feel like there is. Yeah. I think in in very specific cases, like like the one that you've you've pointed out, you know, you need to have those documents available in that partial but you're not gonna multiple multiple places will render that partial it'll be extended from a layout or you know you probably won't be calling the partial directly yeah so it makes sense to like configure it once tuck it away in your layout and use the view composer in that instance to to populate the partial and i think i i guess if that's the way that you're going to be doing it anyone with with some level of experience with laravel will be able to look at that you know they'll they'll dig down they'll go it's in the layout oh, it's in this partial the partial you know it's it's not available in any controllers like it takes some digging but I think yeah I think it's you know clear ish for anyone who's got some experience to to go looking for a view composer that said I've been in a situation where I used view composers to to construct a, a menu with inside an application and after a period of time I just forgot like where where is this all defined where is this variable coming from and like i used to use view composers for things like passing the authenticated user into the every view because you always want to have access to the authenticated user but now you know that's included in laravel as a blade directive so i would consider whether some things and and probably not like the menu thing and certainly not the document thing i don't necessarily think that's a good place for a blade directive 
but it could be. You know, just like it really does depend. But I, as I, as you said, and as I said on Twitter, there's no specific place. Like, sure, yeah. it goes into provider, but does it go in your app service provider or does it go into a view service provider? You're right. Or a view composer service provider? These are these are all the kinds of things that I'm sure I said this on on Laravel News last week. Like, Laravel is very opinionated to a point, but but some things it's like just just throw it in to a service provider yeah well, which one does it go in the boot method does it go in the register method should i put in the app service provider yeah i don't i don't know what the answer is other than you know if, if there is a very specific use case and you will probably know it when it sneaks up on you but there have not been many instances where i have reached for for a view composer yeah you can get around them i think there's you're always gonna you, you can always find a way to kind of get around using them yeah uh, i think adam seem- tweeted something as well in response yeah. to you about like an, an alternative to view composers like they're there i guess but uh, yeah, i'm not sure yeah so like using basically a the child uh the child template so say essentially having a section in the in the template that you're extending so if you have like a master template that you're extending putting in that master template a section and then defining that in your child template. There are cases where that's just not ideal though. I mean, it's just, yeah. my example is exactly, it's, it's, it's a perfect example for yeah. that situation. Like I, I don't wanna, it just doesn't make sense to do it that way. So th- I think there's an argument for view composers. So the thing I was thinking about, and also I was, I was just looking at the documentation here on Laravel, uh, there actually is a method called share. So you can say view share and then key and then value and that will share it with literally every view that ever is made in your application. So that will always be available like errors or whatever. You know what I mean? So errors is always available to any view that gets rendered. So you can say view colon colon share and then put a key and a value in and that will be available to any view that gets populated, which is interesting. I've never seen that before. View composers though are kind of, you know, specific linked to a view. So with that in mind, my I, my thought was, okay, well, where are you typically going to be needing to see this information? Like, if I have a problem, where am I going to be looking at it to f- to figure out? Like, you know, where am I going to be looking at and seeing this variable that I can't figure out where it's at? And it's going to be in the yeah. view, right? So if I see top 10 in the view, that's where I'm going to be, like, consuming it. That's where I'm going to need to know where I can change it at, yep. right? So what if, right because right now you have a view composer and you can create a... Um, you can create a class that will do that, or you can do it via a closure. But if you're doing it via class, uh, it would be nice if maybe in in like the top of the partial that you're using the composer for, if you could say something like view bind almost or something like that, or view or like a directive called composer or something, or a directive called inject, I don't know, where you could reference the specific view composer that that partial is dependent on. Mm. Uh, instead of defining it inside a service provider, if you could just put it at the top of the view, almost like an extend, you know what I mean? But you could say like, hey, this is using this view composer. That way you would know where to look like because it would just be more explicit. Like you're in the code and you say like, okay, this top 10 variable, where is it coming from? It's coming from, yeah. okay, I'm going to go look at the top. Here's this view composer that it's using. At least would give you a little more direction to know where to look. Mm. So anyway, I might I might see if that's even something to pursue or if that would be... Uh, possible i don't really use them that much so it's kind of like i don't really want to spend a ton of time doing it but yeah but that uh, might be an idea for somebody else out there yeah definitely gonna, yeah as i said i don't like i i avoid them i don't i gonna don't go looking for reasons to use them i don't really come up with like i can't off the top of my head other than menu and you know what you suggested there with the, the files that they need to be visible i don't really think there's 
generally speaking, a good use case for it. But maybe one of our listeners has got something. Feel yeah. free to share with us. Yeah. So there we go. Well, hey, we are at 50 minutes here. 51 minutes. Yeah. Um, let's give out another couple codes and let's call it a day. I think we should reserve the codes. We can get Ooh. them away Ooh. on Laravel News. Sure. But I did want to talk about one more thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Because we whilst uh, we've got Jan semi-sponsoring us with these codes, we also have Spassi, who regularly sponsors us. We do. Oh, I, oh, I've I got a good one. Go ahead. You, you you've first. got a good one? You, yeah, but I you first. I haven't got a specific package to talk about, but Freik this week announced on Twitter this looking up of DNS records tool that, that Spassi built and, and obviously open-sourced and shared with the community. So it's a dnsrecords.io. And and basically, it is exactly what it says in the name. It allows you to look up DNS records. So when you go to the page, it gives you a bash prompt type interface and you put in the domain name you want to look up the DNS records and it goes and finds the domain. Uh, oh, that's the DNS freaking records sweet. So I put in dorinda.com.au and it returned my A records and my quad A records for IPv6 and my name server records and, and my mail records and my TXT records. So... If you ever find yourself on the go needing to look up DNS records or you just want a place to look for it because it's always a pain to it find is. somewhere. It and is. Like, unless you know how to do it from the command line, if you know if you know how to use dig, if you know how to use those kind of utilities, then this is the way that it goes. And it's my understanding that this is basically a web web wrapper around dig. But you know you've got to remember the syntax. You've got to you know you've got to look at the A records and the quad A records and the name server records all independently. So this basically gets the output from all of that, yeah. parses it, cleans it up, and just throws it into the into the browser for you, nice and easily readable. That is super nice, super nice. I will definitely be using that, and uh, you can enter Doom to play Doom. Oh, yes, that's correct. I do remember that. How the heck does this work? How are they you letting me play Doom on here? I don't understand. It's a different. It's a different website. Oh, it it redirects you. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I was like, how are they doing this? That's cool. Just okay. how much time do you think Spassy yeah, has sitting seriously. around playing and and writing Doom for the browser? Last one that we can talk about next time a little bit more is uh, their media library package, which is I think hugely popular, but I've never used it until just recently, and now I mm. will use it probably for almost everything. Everything. Oh man. <laughs> It's just beautiful. It really is so nice. So I won't I won't take I the saw time. Someone we'll talk about tweeting it next week. Recently. Yeah, yeah, I saw someone recently tweeting about it asking if there was a sort of front end for it. Yeah, like it was JMac. built a front end package. Was it JMac? Yeah, yeah, it was. But really, I mean, you can tie it in with any front end. That's the beauty of it. It's like you don't have to have a specific front end. Like you just, it's it, it makes yeah. uploading files and attaching them to models super easy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always the challenge. Yeah. Uh, so anytime, you know, we've got, and, and the nice thing is it's agnostic. Like it doesn't care what model it is. doesn't care at all. So like we have two or three things that need to have like, uh, files attached to them in this most recent thing that we're building. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I don't have to like make a, another column on there saying like, okay, file name and file location and all this crap yeah. and which disc it was stored on. None of that. I don't have to do any of that in from anything. I just have to say like, okay, Hey, uh, spicy media library. I want you to store a file. And I want you to associate it with this model. Done. Now, next time mm-hmm. I come back, I can say, hey, model, do you have a file? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Go grab that for me and show it to the user. I mean, it's just so easy. It makes it so easy. 
So I assume it's using a trait on the on like the parent or the owning model, and then it's just using a polymorphic for storing the files themselves. Yep. Yeah, nice. Exactly. Yeah. So it's well, who wants to implement that by hand? Exactly. <laughs> oh man, forget it. So anyway, <laughs> it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. So I definitely check it out. All right, I think that's it. We're going to save the codes, the other codes uh, for Laravel News. So if you don't listen to that podcast, go ahead and subscribe to that one and uh, you can get the other codes over there if they're already all used up. And thanks to Jan and to uh, Freik for for helping to keep everything running here. Yeah. Yeah, all right, that's it. Thanks everyone so much for listening. This is episode 36. Find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 36. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at our personal Twitter accounts or at North South Audio uh, and uh, get yourself a shout out or promo something if you've got a new SaaS app you're working on. We really, honestly, we love you people. We want to help you. So if you've got something you want to promo or something you want us to talk about, it, let us know. We'd love to do that. Uh, like Jan, like he's, you know, this is the second time he's sent us stuff. And uh, so we love to just give shout outs to people and help people out if they're working on something cool. So. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate that. And if you don't like the episode again, see previous comment, which is give us some feedback. Talk to us. I'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And if you're feeling really generous, if you're feeling really, really generous, you can just send me a pair of AirPods in the mail. That'd be, that'd be incredible (laughs) too. Or or elevate my my iPhone 10 pre-order. There you go. There you go. I like that idea. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you, Michael, for editing ahead of time. You always do such a great job and make my life easy. <laughs> no, no dramas. No dramas. <laughs> this is an Aussie thing, by the way, people. Michael doesn't say, oh, no big deal. No problem. Don't worry about it. It's no drama. It's a thing. Right? That's right. That's what you guys always it say. Is 100% no drama. The thing. Yeah, no drama. it is. And I remember when you first started saying that, I was like, well, no drama. Okay. I guess that's what that means. No big deal. <laughs> no, it's no problem. No problem. It's fine. Yeah, that's it's right. funny. There you go. There's your Aussie lingo for the day. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Y'all. Yeah, I've been recording for 30 seconds. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do we have to do like the clap? Clap to sync things up. Yeah, it doesn't work. I don't know. No, it doesn't. The delay doesn't work. You just have to find like a spot where our conversation was normal and just sync it up. Yeah, I usually do everything relative to our intro. That seems to do the trick. That's a good way to do it. Dude, everybody, you're catching me while I'm still waking up. It is now six o'clock, but um, I was waking up around five thirty, so I'm still, I'm still got, I'm, I'm still dazed a bit here. <laughs> still got that early morning. Where am I? Who am yeah. I? Yes, that. So, um, yeah, should we do our intro? I think we should. We should go ahead. <laughs>